That was a little preachy, I know. <laughs> and now we're going to get into some teaching. So Psalm chapter 3 this morning. Um, <clears throat> this is a super encouraging psalm. We're going to pray before we get into it, but I just want to kind of give a prelude. I felt like maybe I needed to do this after the, the, the first service. I didn't do this, and I want to do it now. is because it's, this psalm is one of the psalms. It's, it's so relatable, and... Um, and there's great encouragement found here in, in the words that are on this page, in the, in the promises and the hope that it offers to us. And I, I think it's relatable not only because we all have struggled with trials, right? We've all had circumstances where we felt desperate, where it seemed hopeless, where we've been overwhelmed with the circumstances. And, and um, this psalm here is a reminder of who God is, what he does for us, of his promises, and ultimately how all salvation that we receive, and ultimately the, the salvation, the eternal salvation that we receive from, from the Lord is, is in his hands. But even the day-to-day salvation that we need in the moment-to-moment things of life comes from the Lord. And it's, it's a really a time to reflect and meditate and go, who do we turn to? What are we turning to? What are we going to to be filled up on the inside that may be something other than the Lord that we can really be selling ourselves short, short on. And, and, and um, the, the battles, guys, listen, the battles don't have to just be from without. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit, and David even addresses that some here. The battles lots of times are with, from within. So who here sinned this week? Come on, you all liars, now you just sinned again. So yes, we, we've all sinned. Who was like really happy about their sin? You know, it's, it's super discouraging, right? You've been a Christian for a while. You read God's word, you pray, and yet you still have these struggles. Maybe, maybe it just wasn't like um, an outward thing. Maybe it was an inward thing. Who had f- great fear and anxiety and, and maybe anger? Something like that this week that you know is a sinful attitude that just grips you at times and takes a hold of you. And you can, you can get through it. You can work through it. But at the same time, you, you express this, this heart of the Apostle Paul where he goes, you know, the things that I want to do, I will to do, I don't do. And the things that I will not to do, that's what I do. And then Paul just has this moment of just complete breakdown and such raw emotion. He goes, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And it's that struggle that we all face where we can become so discouraged and so overwhelmed with ourselves, with our own faults, with our own fails, the battles that we fight within that we, that we lose at times. You know, the Bible says, though a righteous man fall... Seven times, you know, the Lord will still pick him up. That's the idea about it. And, and that's, the, the, that's the, 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 the idea behind this psalm in regards to, let's just not think about it some kind of external attack, some kind of external threat, some kind of external um, battle that's going on, because the one that we live with every day is the one with self. And I talked about it last week because, you know, one of the things that we were reminded of when we talked about who Christ is and the promises of the inheritance that he's yet to receive and then and, and seeing that God's plan will come to pass and that we're part of God's plan. And part of God's plan is that work of growing us and changing us to be more like Jesus Christ. That's what I want. I don't want to be more like Sean. I wake up with Sean every day and that guy needs to die, <laughs> you know, and Jesus needs to live. But sometimes Sean's on the throne and, 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 and I'm aware of it, and I just relish in it, and I go forward in it, and I don't want to be like that. I, and you guys, you know, I want you to be more like Jesus because I love Jesus, and you guys can be stinky sometimes, and you want me to be more like Jesus because you love Jesus, and I can be stinky sometimes. And that's, that's, the, ad, that's, that's, that's the thing really at this psalm is to realize that there's hope even in that because some of our greatest discouragements can come when we, when we see our faults, when we see our failures or even past faults and failures that we have maybe even reflared back up at times in our lives. You know, lack of discipline in some things. And, and, and yet, part of God's plan is to sanctify us. Part of God's plan is to give us victory. Victory even over those inward battles that we face on a day-to-day basis. Those struggles that we know that don't honor God and doesn't, that we're, not, we're not loving God and ultimately this is what it boils down to. We're not loving God and we're not loving others in the way that God calls us to because there's this big rock in the middle of the road and it's called our flesh, right? 
So, so be encouraged to, to just kind of look at that and, and, and see the words of David and the promises here in that light as well. Now, there are plenty of other things going on outwardly that cause us to question and wonder to feel um, in this world, to feel like, um, you know, the things that can cause us to feel fear and anxiety and, and um, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a financial thing. You know, I know, I know people who are right now suffering financially because of some economical things that have gone on as a result of what's going on in our world today. I know people, friends in, in other countries that are really, really, really suffering right now because of some stuff. I know some people who are, have health concerns, legitimate health concerns, and, and they have legitimate fears, if you will, about getting covid and, and, and yet God calls us to not walk in those fears, right? He's given spirits of love and a spirit of sound mind. And how does that work in relationship to these real things that are pressing on us from the outside right now? That can cause discouragement, disappointment, um, and everything else that you guys are experiencing more that I experience as well. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. And um, as we pray this morning for our time, I want to pray for the Vineyard Church. Uh, pastor Luke is the pastor there. Um, he, um, Vineyard's on our list of churches that we're going to pray for. And so let's pray together and then we'll get into the Word. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, that you rule and reign. And... Um, I pray, God, that as we study this psalm, these words, that you would be given permission. You have my permission, and Lord, um, to rule and reign over my heart and mind again in these areas, Lord, where I need to be strengthened and maybe rebuked and corrected and um, instructed, Lord, in the way of righteousness. We believe that to be true about your word, God, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and able to divide, Lord, um, the thoughts and intents um, of our own heart. And it is profitable, God, for us to study your word, to apply it to our lives, to be instructed in the right way. But God, we need, the, we need you to pour out your Holy Spirit to convict us, Lord, so that we would not be blind and walk in darkness. And so, Lord, that not just so that we can be corrected, but, Lord, that we can be encouraged and find hope and know you more. God, that we would get our eyes off of our situation, our circumstances, our own faults, our own failures, uh, and, Lord, look to you and your goodness and your power and your strength and your might in our lives. Lord, your hand working right now in, in, in our world, in, in our city, in our, in our, in our, in our church, in our in our homes, in our, in our lives. And Lord, may we, when we see that, Lord, may we be humbled and gracious. And um, Lord, may we be moved to be more like you. May we be changed to be more like you. And Lord, we pray for the brothers and sisters here in Fremont County that go to other churches, our brothers and sisters, those who are of your kingdom, who also have a heavenly citizenship. And to pray for Pastor Luke, Lord, as he teaches this morning. Lord, we pray that you would um, protect them as they join together as a congregation, Lord. Protect them from uh, the COVID virus. Protect them, Lord, um, from any outside attacks, people that might be speaking um, things against them for joining together and, and um, being faithful to you, Lord. And we pray the same thing here. And we pray, Lord, that your word would be taught there at Vineyard today. Lives would be changed, Lord. So do that work there, do that work here, and Lord, we receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, one last announcement. Uh, Beverly Rich is our uh, um, missionary in Uganda. And if you guys will be praying for her, she's going to be boarding the plane and coming back to the States. Uh, it's, it's been a while since she's been here. She's going to be on a three-month furlough, and um, she usually comes and visits our church as well, and I expect her to do that. But just as she travels, uh, pray for her. That is a brutal trip. I've done it multiple times. It's like 48 hours of travel. And yeah, it's 24 hours on a plane plus road time. And it's just, and um, so be praying for her to be strengthened, to be healthy. And then as she travels around and visits churches, that God would keep her safe and healthy and provide for her needs too. Her name is Bev Rich. All right, let's see. Psalm chapter three. 
So as, as in preparing for the psalm, one of the things we want to reiterate is that the first two psalms, which we've been studying through in the last couple of weeks as we began this book, um, we, we've seen a couple of things. First of all, the first psalm, what we know is that the focus is placed upon God's word. Blessed is the man, it says in verse 1, who does not walk in the way, the counsel of the ungodly, right? And then it goes on to talk about, you know, that man of God who, who keeps God's law, that, that adheres to the, the word of God, applying it to his life, and how there's a blessing for that. And um, then in the second psalm, the focus was put on God's king. Literally says his anointed one, that translates to the Christ, and we know that Jesus is the Christ, God's anointed one, the only begotten son of God. And so we've seen Psalm 2 as a prophetic message pointing forward to Jesus Christ being the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and how there's an inheritance for him. But, but in the meantime, what we see is that the nations, it says, are raging against God's king. And so there's this prophetic application, but there's also a historic application. And we know that David, because of what we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, that David was the one who wrote that psalm, and we kind of went through some of that as well. But the, 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 the crux of that psalm is, is the blessing that is found for us uh, uh, for as, as the children of God, the, bl- the blessing I- I- that comes when we choose to trust in God's Son and when it's reflected in the way that we live our lives and literally how we love Him, to take the kiss the Son, it says, and to receive what He has, this, this thought of um, paying Him homage and reverence and respect, ultimate love, but it's also in our service. We've talked about that too, to serve Him with your heart. And, and, and that brought us to the passage in Deuteronomy where really everything was connected, where it says that we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. Every bit of who we are as an individual, everything that God has made is holding nothing back to the king, the king of kings. And there's a blessing in that. And with these two pillars as the foundations, really, God's word and God's king, for the rest of the book of the Psalms, I think we're prepared now with those things in mind for what comes next. And in this next Psalm, we see that it's the first of what is, is categorically referred to as the Psalms of prayer, okay? And this is a very personal, very intimate prayer that is put forth. And like I mentioned last week, in the inscription of this Psalm, that, that this prayer, the Psalm of prayer, which is also a personal lament, and it's a crying out. It's individual. It's, it's um, real in that sense. It's attributed to David, King David. And as we read through this psalm, we should notice that it's really two prayers. It's one psalm, but two different prayers. A prayer that David prayed in two different times. The first was in the evening, and at an evening time, and then another prayer he prayed that next morning when he arose and, and had, had taken sleep and, and woke up and then saw um, what was going on around him. But in addition to telling us who the author is, the inscription also lays out the context for this psalm, the historical context for it, saying that it is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son, right? And this, this heading, which is considered a part of the original text, as part of can- the canon of Scripture, it, 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 it lets us know um, the context of when David wrote it and the reason for why. When it was written, but also why. Why did David write this? And, and this is what it says. And, and this event that, that, that it's referring to um, of David fleeing from his son Absalom, who raised up a rebellion against him, is recorded in 2 Samuel, chapters 15 through through 18, three chapters there. And, and um, I'm not going to read all of that this morning. I would encourage you to go back today sometime, read it, and, and, and get the full context of, of what, what's surrounding these words that David, where David spoke in, in prayer to God. Because in these chapters, by way of summary, chapters 15 through 18 of 2 Samuel, it tells us that King David he was leaving Jerusalem and he was fleeing from his son Absalom because his son, over a period of two years, had been secretly stirring up the people to rise against David. There's a whole backdrop that leads up to this event where there's some family problems going on and, and Absalom did something and David reacted in, in really an ungodly way. Um, and, and as a result of that, Absalom finally was allowed to, he was in exile, he was allowed to come back to Jerusalem and, and Absalom had bitterness in his heart. 
He had resentment in his heart. And, and he had a plan that he was enacting for two years, very patiently, very, very methodically, um, trying to build up people who would be for him that he could raise up a rebellion against his father. And long story short, he would sit at the city gates of the city of Jerusalem when people would come in, because you'd usually come to the city, come to the king, and the king would act as a judge to hear your case. And Absalom would say, hey, listen, the, the king is not hearing anybody. He's not listening, but you can tell me. And then it said that Absalom would rule in favor of certain people. And that, that what he would do is then he would kind of speak highly of himself and speak poorly of his father. And, 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 and Absalom had devised a plan, it says, with men whose hearts he had stolen to be loyal to him, men whose hearts were, were loyal to David, at one point he, he stole their affections, he stole their hearts by these evil intentions and the things that he was doing so that they would be loyal to him. And with that plan, he devised this, or with that, with that being done, he devised this plan to, to remove David, to get these people to help him, to really, to willingly remove David as their king and put Absalom in his place. So when Absalom's rebellion had grown strong, when he had many men beside him who was willing to be a part of the plan, um, he set things into motion. You can go into the details of that in those, those chapters. I don't want to go into it now, but he's a very crafty, very clever, deceitful guy. But he, he um, well, I don't want to get too much in There's some funny things in there too. Go read it. It's, it's, it's better than I'm watching Netflix this afternoon or whatever. But um, so he set things into motion and um, he went to the city of Jerusalem and, and with this army, with these people to take it away. And it says so with the edge of the sword. He was going in to have war, to bring a war. And so when David heard that, that um, he, this rebellion had been set into motion, what David did is he made it, Almost a sacrificial decision is what it looks like to, to leave, not only to save his, his life um, from his own son who betrayed him, because, but also the people in the city and the city itself. He didn't want to see it destroyed. And so David fled. He ran. He, he, he left um, his throne. He left his city. He left his people. And, after, and, and, and he left the, the, the tabernacle of God. He left the Levite priests, all these things that were very, very dear. David, David left, and David fled from Jerusalem. When he left, Absalom, it says, entered in the city and took over the throne. And he did some very, very bad things, Absalom did in David's absence. And, but, but what he, rather than just be happy or content with having the throne, right, like he wanted, what he did then is he sent his armies in pursuit of David to chase after David and, and to battle against him and seeking to take his father's life. And David, and, and, and think about this just for a moment, because I know you've all had people battle or things come against you, adversarial things, but how much, how much more does it hurt when it's someone you love or someone you've had a relationship with, a good friend, a brother, a, a, maybe even a child has betrayed you, hurt you, a family member, and, and this is what David was facing in this situation. It wasn't just another enemy. It's not another adversary. It was his own son. And David, in this instance, after he had fled, it says that he had gone to the banks of the Jordan River. Really what that means is he went as far as he could with still being in the promised land before, before taking the steps across the Jordan and, and exiting out of it. He was literally being driven out of the whole country, out of God's promised land. And, and, and before he left, what we know is that he sat up camp there on the, the banks of the Jordan River because he was waiting for his spies, trusted men whom he had left behind to be, report to what had happened and to report what was going on so David could then kind of make a plan. And what they did is they came and told him and said they warned him about Absalom's pursuit. Not only has Absalom done this, taken the throne, and then all these other things which you can read about, he said, he's sending all the forces after you, David. They're coming. You need to flee. You need to leave. And so they warned him, and they urged David to cross over the Jordan River. And it's like, it was like that last, perhaps, glimpse of hope 
if you will, of, of, of you know, regaining in that moment. Is this really happening kind of thing? Yes, it's happening. David, go. David, go. And so David, they urged David, his, his, his friends, his spies, to cross over the Jordan and to leave Israel that night. And so with that context and what you read there and what we read here, it's very likely when you connect the dots that David was praying this, this prayer, these two prayers. The first one was at evening, right? The psalm of prayer was evening, and, and that's verses 1 for 4. And, and he, he was more than likely doing that on the banks of the Jordan River while he was still in Israel after his spies had brought this information to him. And yet we see his, his other prayer in verses 5 through 8 that next morning. And if, this, if, if the contextual, um, if everything's contextually lined up the way that I see it, then we know that he was the next morning, he was on the, he was on the other side of the Jordan River. But there's a, a different prayer that he prays. And um, we want to look at these things. So with verse, this psalm in mind, with these things in mind, verse, verse 1 says this. It says, Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. I think just even that, that's very relatable. At some point in our lives, all of us have felt like that in, in, in probably many instances. And, and here's even perhaps a more disheartening truth that we can relate to. He says this, he says, verse 2, not only rising up against me, and, and, and many increase to trouble, he says, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. In other words, they're saying I'm condemned. There's no hope for me. And then there's this word Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have, for you have struck my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. And Father, as we meditate and reflect upon these words now as we study them out, Lord, and, 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 and see your, your message to us this morning. I pray, God, that we would be strengthened like David. God, that we would find rest in you like David did. I pray for people here this morning, Lord. I pray for us here, Lord, for anyone who is, is hurting, is suffering, feel like they're losing the battle discouraged, disappointed, just overwhelmed by maybe them, the, the, themselves or the things of this world, Lord, I pray they would find great encouragement and hope in you today in the truth of your word. And God, that the things that you teach us and show us today, Lord, would be things, Lord, that we would be thinking about how we could share with others around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we look at this first psalm, the, thing, the, 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 psalm, the first thing I want to point out is that David, right, who was greatly distressed, who was fearful of losing his life, he cried out to God with this. He said, Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. In the rest of this prayer, David calls out with that same title for God, that same name of God, saying, Lord, five additional times. And each time David does so, when you look up in the original Hebrew, it's the same Hebrew word. The same Hebrew word. And, and lots of times when that word Lord is translated, it can come from the word Adonai. There's other different words that can be used. But in this instance, every single time, it is the word Yehovah. And it's significant. 
It's important. It's intentional. And I want us to see that this, this morning because Jehovah is the proper name for the Jewish people for the one true God. Jehovah. It's his proper name. It was a name that was so sacred to the Jewish people that, that, they, that it's just a reference to the real name. It's, it's, just, it's just vowels with no consonants. Another word of saying is, is Yahweh, Jehovah. But more importantly, this name is the name that the Hebrew people would refer to when recognizing that their God, the one true God, is ultimately and in, 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 in supremely the God of the covenant. What covenant? The Mosaic covenant. What covenant? The Abrahamic covenant. He's the God of the covenant. In other words, a God who had made them promises, right? Of a mighty nation, of giving them land, of bringing forth the Messiah. Multiple covenantal promises that God said, these things are going to come true. But more importantly, this name is the name that the Hebrew people would refer to when, 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 when um, individually, like what we see here, David, when, when remembering that God had spoken promises to them. Specifically, and I think this is important in light of the difficult things that David was going through because it shows us that David ultimately throughout this whole time, in this whole situation, at this moment he was calling out to God, he was remembering that God had spoken covenant promises to him. Remember, David had been promised the throne as an everlasting thing to his descendants. And yet it was being challenged here. And, he, and remembering these promises, remembering that God was a covenant, a God of covenant, a God of promises, that David in that moment could cling to not only the promises that he had been spoken to, that had been spoken to him by God, but, but to the nature and the person of God who says that when he makes a promise, he keeps it. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot deceive all the promises of God are yes and amen. They will come to pass. And, and, and sometimes I think that when we read these prayers, we can look at it as David going, I'm remembering who you are. I'm remembering who you are. But sometimes we do this. God, do you remember who you told me who you are? You're the Lord. You're Jehovah. You're the promise keeper. You said you were going to do this. And so it's speaking these things to God. And really, ultimately, what it is, guys, is it's speaking truth in the midst of doubts. Receiving truth in the midst of doubts. And the simple fact that God, that, that David, the simple part of this is that, is, is, that, is that David called out to God, and that reminds us that of just who to turn to in our time of trouble. And, and, and yeah, that, that can seem like a very simplistic statement, but guys, how often is it that prayer or calling out to God is not the first thing that we do when we find our times of trouble? We turn to many other things, and then once all of those other things have failed us, when we feel like sometimes there's nothing else left to do, then we're like, we pray that prayer. And ultimately, this is the same prayer summarized as God help. I've come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of my resources. And God would have us call out to him like David did here in the beginning, right away, instantaneously. You see, even though David, he, he had other options. And he, he, he intentionally in this moment left things in God's hands and didn't take them into his own. See, David had mighty men. Go read about his mighty men. These guys, these guys are, you read about what they did and it's, it's like, you ever met that guy who has these stories, you're like, and they're so amazing that you're like, I can't believe that. That's, that's, that's David's mighty men. These guys were, were not to be messed with. And yet David doesn't call to his mighty men. David had many earthly allies at this point. And yet he doesn't call to any of his earthly allies. He calls out to the Lord, Jehovah, for his help. David would later write, kind of expounds on this in another psalm. David writes in Psalm 46, verse 1, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Not just any kind of present help, a very present. 
help in time of trouble. And David was in trouble. David was in big trouble, deep trouble. Not only had his enemies increased, and many had risen up against David as a result of all of Absalom's lies, out of all of, as a result of all of Absalom's deceptive ways. What we know when we read through 2 Samuel and what David alludes to here in, 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 in verses 2, or what he speaks to in verses 2, is there were many people who were also saying that David, as king, was beyond God's help. There was lack of confidence in his, in his, his ability to be the king, to rule and reign, that God had forsaken his anointed, right? Because the king was the anointed one of God. God has left him. God's not with him. God's against him. And some of these people are even named, are, are, are named by their name in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 18. And some of them were David's enemies, but a lot of them were David's friends, people who were close to him. And so perhaps David was taking note of this in this prayer, I think because these voices of the people combined with the trouble that he was facing was causing him to have real fear. And even doubts on if God had given up on him. Everybody's saying this, maybe it's true. Maybe I am condemned. Maybe God has forsaken me. And you read some of the language that David speaks in different instances as he's going through this trial in 2 Samuel chapter 15 on through 18, and David expresses some of those doubts in light of these voices that are speaking these things against him. After all, if you think about it, and David knew himself better than anyone else, but when we look at the life of David, the last few years of David's life had not been very stellar. There was the adultery with Bathsheba, right? There was the murder of her husband in order to try to conceal his sin. And, 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 and ultimately, the, the catalyst for what we see going on here is that, is that in addition to the adultery, in addition to the murder, we know that David was very lazadaisical in his, not only in his kingly duties, but also in regards to taking care of his own family. He ignored multiple things that he should have dealt with. In other words, he was not being a godly father, not being a godly leader. And I think it's safe to say that this fear of God having forsaken him was more horrible than any and everything else that David was facing. Charles Spurgeon, he writes about this and he says this, quote, and maybe you can relate to it. I, I, I felt this way as, as well. He says this, he said, if all the trials which come from heaven, right, because God's trials are, 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 are tests, right, but they come and they can be hard, they can be difficult. But he says, if all the trials which come from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from this earth, if they could all be mixed together and pressed together, he said, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this one verse, verse 2. He says, it is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Even though God had graciously forgiven David for all of those things when he confessed his sin to him, because God is faithful and just to forgive our sins when we confess them to him, right? But what we do know is, is that God did allow for the consequences of those sins to come into David's life. And David experienced many painful things, many, many painful family problems in the years that followed. And I think this is, is, is somewhat a result of that including, we know, in addition to that, he, his own son, his son that was, was given to him in Bathsheba, that, that he, he died. We know that as a result of David's unwillingness to be a godly father and to deal with things rightly, that, there was the, that one of his daughters was raped. There was the murder of his son Ammon by Absalom's hand. But in all of that, listen, in all of that, God never forsook David, even if we are faithless, what does the Bible say? He remains faithful. You see, in light of this, we need to first understand that the Lord, Jehovah, our God, is the only person, He is the only thing that we should put our faith in. He's the only one we should cry out to for help in our time of trouble because He's the only one who can really help us. A very 
present help in our time of trouble. Furthermore, we can rest assured that like David who had many faults, like David that had many failures, God will never forsake us even though we have many faults and many failures. So even though we may be feeling the pain of God's discipline in our lives at time and the painful consequences of our sin, which God will allow us to experience as well, it does not mean, it does not mean, listen, does not mean that God has turned his back on you, on me, on us in our present time of trouble. So no matter what the voices are saying, no matter what the voices are saying, there's no reason for us to doubt that God will not help us when we call out to him. That is a lie from the enemy that the enemy wants us to believe so that we are silent in our time of need and not cry out to our helper. And I put it like this because more often than not, guys, is it not true that the voice that we hear saying there's no help for us in God is not the voice of others. Rather, it's the little voice of doubt, I think, that comes from inside our own hearts that seems to be the most loudest in our ears in that moment. You're no good. You know, the Bible says there's, there's this time, and I don't remember exactly where it's at now, but it says, is Paul, I think it's Paul writing to the Romans, he says, he says, how blessed is it when our own heart does not condemn us? When we can truly just live in the grace of God and come into the presence of our Holy Father, getting our eyes off of our whatever and looking at his everything and going, it's where I should be. It's where I want to be. And there's nothing standing in the way for me getting there because he's what he's done. There's nothing in between us. When your own heart isn't condemning you, how sweet it is. And yet when our heart condemns us, it's that, it's that voice, it's that, that whisper is just blasting in your inside and in, your, in the inner man is going, why are you crying out to God? Look at what you've done. He's not for you. How could he be for you? But he's not against us. He's for us. And David reminds us that we can call out to him. We can tell him our troubles and we can ask for his help. That word is a very cool word in, this, in the context of this psalm. At the end of verse two, there, that word help, it's the, it's the word Yeshua. That's the Hebrew word, Yeshua. And it literally means salvation. It means deliverance. And the same Hebrew word is used twice other in this psalm where it says, where David says, save, Yeshua, me. Save me. And then again in verse 8 where he said this word salvation. It says Yeshua belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I point this out because most of you know this Hebrew word for Yeshua is also the Hebrew word for the name of Jesus Christ. It's synonymous. And what, is, what does Jesus mean? Salvation. What does Jesus mean? Deliverance. And in the Psalms, the word Yahshua is used 136 times over and over and over again. And this is important because I think it ultimately illustrates for us how truly our help, how, how our salvation comes from Jesus alone. Both in the eternal sense and in the right now, today sense. And in the tomorrow sense. And in the day after that. Before we move on, I also want to point out a kind of exercised it when we were reading through it. But I want to point out at the end of verse 2, there is for the first time this word selah. And this word is used 74 different times throughout the book of, Psalm, of, this book of the Psalms. The exact meaning of this word is up for debate. There's usually two schools of thought that most Bible scholars come to, and they believe that this word selah either means to lift up, and some others think it means to be silent. But, but, but even though there's this debate over what the exact translation of this word is, it's clear, it's clear that the reason for the word is to instruct us, the listener, into a response. And so a selah is a call to lift up, then it could refer to like a loud voice of praise. Amen, right? Or the lifting of hands, or, or as often was the case in the reading of the trumpets, which were set to music or done there at the temple and in different instances, it could be along with the blowing of the trumpets. You can picture it right now, you know, a certain part would be read and then there would be, um, there would be a response with trumpets, you know. 
And, and, and that's one aspect of what they think. But the word selah is, is also, if, if, if it's an instruction to be silent, then, then, then what the previous words that were spoken is, is, is then a, a call to meditate on them. Think about them. Take it in. And with that Selah, with that taking it in, with that meditating on it, with that truth that David was facing, he says this. And this is often the case, guys. When we stop and think about things that God's placed before us or what, 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 what we're going through, there can be a but that comes as the result to stop and think about it, right? Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, stop and think about it. But also remember, and that's what David does. But he says, verse, verse 4, after that first thought of meditation, but you, O Lord, verse 3, are a shield for me. Even though these are going, things are going on, even this is real, you, God, you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Again, another Selah. And in spite of these voices of doubt that we, we left with at the end of verse 2, from, from David knew this. David knew, in spite of all these doubts, from within and from without, David knew from his previous experiences with God this, that if he lifted his eyes off of his circumstances and looked with faith to God, but God, then God would be there for him. That he would see that God is there for him. And this is why David could confidently say, and in and, and, and it's, the confidence there is spoken as if it's a truth, right? There's such great assurance that's, that's used in the words of David here when he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. He didn't say, well, maybe you will be a shield for me, or could you be a shield for me? He's all, you are. You're my glory, and the one who lifts my head. In other words, guys, listen, it doesn't matter what the trouble is that we're facing. It doesn't matter what, 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 what things people are saying. The truth is, and that's what the but is, what is the truth? The truth is that God is there for us. He's there to protect us. He's there to defend us. When? Any and every time we call out to him. And David acknowledged in verse 4, he's, this is the thing, he says, and God heard him from his holy hill, which is a reference to the tabernacle back in Jerusalem. And even though David was currently far away from the tabernacle, he says, God's hearing me. You heard me. You're answering my prayers. And we're in, in, in this, I think we need to be reminded of another simple truth when David speaks about that, is that no matter where we are, God is close by our side. And sometimes that where we are positionally in our thinking is not like, well, I'm so far away from my Bible or so away from, away from church. It's not that. Sometimes we think we're so far away from God in our heart, in our mind, because of the things that we've done or the things that we've, the faults and failures of our sin. And what God is always saying, he says, I'm right there. How, how, how close are you? It's just a turnaround. And he's there. He's there. And often we feel like I'm so far away from God. It's so difficult. It's so I don't know if I can ever get back. I don't know if he'll even, he'll even be there. But he's a very present and ever-present help in our time of need. And it's just a matter of acknowledging who he is and turning around to see him. And when we realize that God's right there, we're reminded how close he is by our side, we're aware, we, we become aware of the fact that he knows what we're going through. And that he's attending to our needs. But in verse 4, David points out something else that's very important for us to take note of. Something for us to be mindful of when we're facing difficult things. Because at this time, if you remember, the, the temple had not been built yet. It was, it was um, a task that would be given to David's son Solomon when you read the history of things. But the tabernacle was a place that, even though it was a temporary dwelling place, it housed the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the tabernacle was considered by the Jewish people because God had said so, that this was his earthly dwelling house. That the presence of God would fill the tabernacle and he would meet with his people there. 
But more importantly, the ark was considered the earthly throne of God. The ark of the covenant. And you know, the two angels on the top and what was in the middle? It was the mercy seat. It was the earthly throne of God here upon earth. And when David fled Jerusalem, back in 2 Samuel chapter 15, it tells us that the Levites, the priests, when David fleeing, they took up the throne of God. They took up the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle and their fallen day. We're like, okay, you can have the city, but we're taking God with us. That's the idea. But David, what did he do? He sent them back. He sent them back with the ark, saying to Zadok, the high priest, he said in 2 Samuel 15, verses 25 through 26, he said, carry the ark of God back into the city. He said, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back and show me, it, show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as he seems as it seems good to him. And the point is this, even though David had been forced off of his throne, right? His power was gone. His control of things were gone. Even though, even though David was dethroned, what he knew was that Jehovah, God, was still on his throne. Where? At his holy hill, in his earthly house. <clears throat> and this meant that, that God was still in control, even though David was out of control. And this knowledge that God is the almighty sovereign king is what, what assured David and filled his heart with this peace so that he could, in this moment, at this time, with everything going on and where he was at, that he could lay his head down that night and get the rest that he needed, even though he knew his enemies were in pursuit. You see, none of David's circumstances had changed, right? He was still in trouble. But the worries that had caused David to first cry out to God were taken away when David looked to God and remembered that God who was for him was still in control. You have heard me from your holy hill. In other words, guys, David said his mind, it was a decision, a choice. He made the decision to set his mind on the things that he knew were true. In the midst of all the doubts, midst of all the anxiety, midst of all the fear, midst of all the uncertainty, midst of all the betrayal, the discouragement, the condemned condemnation, what he did is he set his mind on God and what he knew to be true. And when he did this, his heart and mind, think about it, was then guarded by God. God's a better guard of your heart and mind than we will ever be of ourselves. And consequently, like we are told in God's word, when he did this, he was given a peace that surpassed the understanding of the situation, and he lay down and he went to sleep. Now, I've had far less threats in my life that have kept me up all night long than what David was going through here. This was not natural. That's the point. It was supernatural. The supernatural peace of God as he surrendered it to him and go, you're in control. You are for me. You see, this is what Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 is all about. It's the tools. You should have them in your spiritual tool belt. When you're dealing with things, as Paul says, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all of the understanding, all of your understanding, the peace of God, will guard your heart and guard your mind through Christ Jesus. Through Yeshua. Finally, brethren, he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are for a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praiseworthy thing, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and saw in me these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And so that next morning, David's prayer, because of these things, if you notice, David's prayer is much different than the prayer that he had prayed the night before when he had laid down his head to go to sleep. And in verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. He says this then, I'm not going to be afraid. 
I'm not afraid of 10,000 peoples who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck my enemies on the cheekbone and have you broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation, Jehovah, Yeshua, excuse me, belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people, Selah. Now, one of the things that I know is lots of times I can, I can go to bed and try to figure out things, whether it's an internal thing or an external thing. I can try to figure it out in my own understanding. I do the what if game. What if this? What if that? I do this. I'll do that. And I, will, I can get myself to some sense of false peace. And maybe you've done that too. And you're like, oh yeah, it's all going to be okay. And I lay down, I go to sleep, and I sleep. And, but when I wake up, that peace that I once had is gone. It's not a peace that comes from God. And we don't see that with David here. The cool thing, I think the cool thing is, is that the same peace that, that David had when he went to bed was still present when he woke up. Why? Because it wasn't conditional upon what he could or could not fix, which he thought in his own mind, or whether his circumstances had changed. His peace was in who God is and what God had promised him and what God said he would do. And this is evident by the fact that David's first thoughts were of the Lord and how he had protected him during the night. You sustain me. And furthermore, this was a sign to David that the Lord was with him and that God would see him through this current crisis. And with this assurance, David then boldly affirms, again, with this great confidence, this as if it's just a, a truth to him. And it is. But he says in verse 6 then, I'm not going to be afraid. Even if it's ten thousands of people were set in battle ray against him, against me, because he said, God is going to give me the victory. In light of this, I want to point out that when we study the life of David, it becomes evident that, guys, there's, there's something. I, I, some of you, I know you, you're not mourning people. <laughs> but the morning is, is a special time, biblically speaking. The morning is a beautiful thing. And for David, it was a very, very important time of day for David. And, and his example and what the morning meant to him and what he did in the morning should encourage us to allow for our mornings to be just as important. Even if your morning doesn't start at 5 a.m., maybe, maybe, maybe your morning starts at 10 a.m., 11, whatever that is. Let that be your morning. It's not, it's not just the, it's the beginning, right? And, 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 and for David, it, 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 he said his, we see that in the morning, this is the time that he would regularly meet with the Lord. Before anything else, he'd meet with the Lord and he would worship him. And according to Psalm 5, verse 3, when we get there, we'll see that David used the morning as a time, he says, when he would pray to God. In Psalm 57, verses 7 through 8, in Psalm 59, verse 16, David said that in the morning he would also sing to God. So if you don't sing very well, I say do it in the shower so no one else has to listen to you. But sing to the Lord. Lifting your voice in praise and worship to Him. Also in Psalm 90, verse 14, David said this, and I think this is perhaps the greatest thing of all. David said that it was in the morning that he would be satisfied by God's mercy. Not by coffee and a bagel. But God's mercy. And this reminds me of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22-24, and perhaps it does to you as well, where the prophet Jeremiah said this. He said, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Why? Because his compassion fails not. His compassion for us fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So as a result of David calling out to God in his time of need, God gave David rest. Guys, rest is so important. And it's just not laying your head down to go to sleep. It's where you're resting in the midst of the trial in the Lord. Where you find peace in the midst of the storm. Because when there's rest, you know what comes next? Next, there's rescue. As God sees fit. And as God seed fit in David's situation, he gave him rest, but he also gave him rescue. And David's prayer in verse 7 where he said, Arise, O Lord, it's profound when we consider that the Hebrew verb used here for the word arise is also in the past tense. The verbiage there in original Hebrew speaks to something that has already happened as well as something that we're reading in the moment. Arise, O Lord. 
And you might think that's strange, but think about it for just a minute. Because this illustrates for us how, how in David's mind, this next morning, how it was set on several things. It was set on this, on what he trusted God to do. First of all, arise, O Lord. I, I'm trusting you to do, right? When he said this, save me, O God, from my enemies. Arise, O Lord. I'm trusting you to do. Save me from my enemies, O God. But not only that, his mind was also set on what God had previously done for him. And this is why David also said, arise, he said, arise, O Lord, save me, from my, from, save me, O God. But he also said, as he was thinking back, for you have struck all of my enemies on the cheekbone and you have broke the teeth of the ungodly. That wasn't prophetically speaking to what would happen. That was historically, if you will, looking back upon what God had already done for David. And the point is this. The point is knowing and remembering that remembering what God has done for us gives us confidence in what the Lord will do for us. Knowing and remembering what God has done for you and what he has done for me gives me confidence, assurance in what the Lord will do for us tomorrow, today, the day after. And with these words that David prayed to God, we see that David then had this faith to trust God, to go before him and defeat the armies of Absalom. And when we read in 2 Samuel chapter 18, we see this is exactly what God did. David was reestablished to the throne. And even though David had used this brilliant military strategy in opposing Absalom's plans, David refused to take credit of any kind. He gave God all the glory because he knew that it was rooted out. It was all rooted in who God was in calling out to God. God given him the wisdom. God given him the strength. All of it. Favor. But more importantly than, than seeing this, this idea of giving God the glory, giving God the credit, more importantly we see is this, is that David in this psalm, it's clear, is that in the midst of all of these things, David refused to carry a grudge against his people who had been so fickle in their devotion and so quick to betray him enjoying the rebellion of Absalom. And rather than condemning them, we see that David forgave them. And even at the end of this psalm, he asked for God to bless his people. It blows my mind. But yet it's the heart of David, and it's the heart that God calls us to have. You see, I think this is one of the reasons why, in spite of many David's failures, we see that David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. He forgave. Not only did he forgive, but he called for God to bless those who had done wrong to him. And if you don't think we're called to do the same, you need to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and read the Sermon on the Mount. Because we are called to do good to those who use us, to pray for those who spitefully use us, to bless those who curse us. And David's willingness to forgive those who betrayed him should ultimately remind us, I think, of Jesus and the words that he spoke in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, while he was there hanging, nailed to the cross. If the worship team wants to come up, as we know that Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. See, guys, as we read this last verse here where David proclaims that salvation belongs to the Lord, it's a reminder for us that David understood that salvation, both in the ultimate sense and in the immediate sense, is God's property. God owns that. God alone. There is no other name that men can call upon to be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And in order to be saved, guys, one must deal with the Lord himself. We must deal with the Lord in a personal way, in an intimate way. We must have relationship with him. That's ultimately, once again, what the psalm is pointing us to, is that David had relationship with his heavenly father. And he called upon that relationship in his time of need and God saved him out of his trouble. God was faithful, and God is faithful to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you never fail us. Thank you, God, that <clears throat> we have hope in you, that we can, we can go through this life, 
um, with great encouragement, great strength, Lord, in knowing who you are and that you are God who is for us. Lord, I pray for anyone who here, Lord, is struggling with those voices of condemnation. Anyone here, Lord, is feeling overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. And I pray, God, that through relationship with you, Lord, that they would be encouraged, that they'd be delivered, that they'd find salvation, they'd find peace and joy. Lord, even those circumstances may not change. God, may you guard our hearts and minds again today so that we can, Lord, love you and love others in the way that you've called us to. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.